Let's turn in the Bible to James chapter 1, our second reading. And we're going to read verse 5 in a few minutes. James 1, verse 5. We've been studying 1 Samuel. We are in 1 Samuel 24. And in 1 Samuel 24, well, really 1 Samuel 18, 19, you start finding David having to flee from King Saul. And he's running for his life. And David has a group of men around him, and David's been appointed to be the next king. And David has a very special role in the life of our redemptive history. He is going to be the king over God's people, and as God's king over his people... He will have a very particular place in history. And he needs to rule in a certain way. He must rule, and the title of the sermon is Living by God's Word, or Living, I should say, maybe better under the Word of the Lord. Under. Um, One of the big tests of a king in the very early days of having a king in place was, will this king be under the word of the Lord, or will this king live outside from underneath the word of the Lord? A Pharaoh did whatever he wanted to. So let it be written. So let it be done. That's what the Pharaoh would say. But the king of Israel had to humble himself and live, uh, maybe if you will, to not, not to be too pejorative, but live underneath a little old man who would tell him what God was telling him to do, like Samuel. Maybe a little older man. Wouldn't be as glorious as maybe a king of Egypt. And so David would need, in order to live underneath underneath the word of the Lord, he would need that word to be given to him. He would need some resources. And so we have seen that David is in the cave of Adullam. He started out with five men. It grew to 400 men. And then it went to 600 men. In the midst of those men with David in the cave, two men, one was a prophet and one was a priest. Gad was a prophet. And Abiathar is the priest, and this is the way the Lord would bring the word of God to David. The priest had the Urim and the Thummim inside his ephod, and he could bring those out, and he could throw them down, and the way they landed would give yes and no answers to particular questions. And of course, Gad, the prophet, could give to David the word from the Lord. Now, someone might say, well, David was a special person in redemptive history, and the Lord gave him special resources so that he might live under the word of the Lord. But but I do not receive this precise, this clear guidance from a prophet or from a priest. And David, we said, does have special privileges. But that doesn't mean that the Lord has left us alone. He's not left us alone. And, and by the way, folks, listen, I don't think that any of us would... Um, want to live in David's time. 3,000 years ago, when most people walked around, probably sick most of the time. We, we, have, we pray for people who are sick right now. But these folks were sick all the, most of the time. They were dealing with some kind of amoeba, some kind of microbe all the time. I much prefer our time. I think you probably would say the same. And the Lord in our time, He's not left us alone. He's not left us. We don't need a prophet and we don't need a priest in the sense that David did. We have been left what the prophets have preached and what the apostles written down. 
The Apostle Paul calls this the whole counsel of God in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. And so we have all that we need in the Old and the New Testaments. We have the principles sufficient. Our Westminster Confession of Faith says, We have the principles sufficient for salvation, for life, for godliness, and for making wise decisions. We don't have every single detail laid out for us. But we have sufficient principles to make wise decisions in the midst of all that is in front of us. We do not have a book that tells us how to change a tire. We don't know those details. Men write those books. But we do know how, what kind of attitude we're supposed to have when we change the tire. <laughs> right? We know that. We have guidelines. So how then do you and I live under the word of the Lord today? How can I, without the prophet, without the priest, make wise decisions? And the first thing I want to lay out in front of you is from James 1.5. Seek God's wisdom in prayer. As we read and go back to, to 1 Samuel... We're going to find that David continuously inquires, inquires, inquires of the Lord. Now, Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they tell us, pray continually, pray continually. But let's take a look at James 1.5 and let's see how James couches it. He says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask or let him pray to God or ask of God, who gives to all generously... And without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, if you pray, if you lack wisdom, here's how we pray. We pray for wisdom. Jesus tells us to pray. Paul tells us to pray. And James says, ask for wisdom when you pray. And so, you and I, if we lack wisdom, we are to pray for God to help us with the details as we follow the principles that are laid out in front of us in, in a certain circumstance. First of all, seek God's wisdom in prayer. Second, study God's revealed will. You must know God's revealed will if you're going to make a wise decision. You and I, if we're going to be about the business of living wise lives, then we have to familiarize ourselves with Scripture. A few weeks ago, we preached a sermon, I think it was on Sunday, on Psalm 1, and then the men even discussed Psalm 1 in, on their uh, Saturday Bible study. The blessed man delights himself in the law of the Lord, and he does so day and night. He's familiarizing himself with the Bible. He's letting these words be the, the diet of his mind so that he can think the Lord's thoughts after him. And I would say this. We must pay, when we talk about studying God's revealed will, we must pay close attention to the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you've ever read the letter that Martin Luther wrote his barber, his barber came to him and said, would you teach me how to pray? And he, he wrote him a 35-page letter. <laughs> and in that letter, he said, you need to meditate through the Ten Commandments. And here's the reason we need to know the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments teach us what God requires and teach us what God forbids. And so it's important for us to know what God requires and what God forbids because every decision that we make, wise decision that we make, will always be under those commandments or according to those commandments in all our situations. Now, last week we talked about this example. I'm just going to give you a bunch of examples tonight as we think these things through. For example, in 1 Samuel 24, uh, 1 through 7, you remember Saul enters the cave and remember who's already there? <laughs> David's already there. Remember, it's a, it must be a huge cave. And his men began to sing the song, This is the day that the Lord has made. Listen. David, there's your enemy. 
right there at your feet. You can kill him and end all of this trial and tribulation that we're going through. And David, encouraged by his men, he goes over and he cuts off just an edge of Saul's robe. And then something very powerful happened. All of a sudden it says that his conscience smote him, tearing him apart. What was happening to him? Fifth commandment and sixth commandment. Honor your authorities. He is not to touch God's anointed king. He may deserve to die, but that's up to God. We could talk about many other things, but it wasn't for him to execute justice on Saul at this moment. So the fifth commandment is wearing him out. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed. David told the men, we are not to touch the Lord's anointed. David didn't need a prophet at this point. David didn't need a priest at this point. He had the Word of God hidden in his heart, and he knew what he should and should not do. Well, let's take a more common uh, illustration. Pastor, the Spirit of God is telling me that she is the one or he is the one. I have found him, I have found her, I found her or him at school, at work, online. Wow, he's a good-looking guy. Wow, she's a looker. This is the one. Well, the Bible gives us principles about who we should and shouldn't marry. The Bible is clear. It tells us that we can marry. It tells us if we marry, we're to be, be pure. It tells us not to commit adultery and not to be impure. It tells husbands and wives their roles. It does not spell out our future spouse's name, but it tells us some very important principles as we work these things out. And so as we hear the pastors hearing from somebody, this person is the person God wants me to marry, the first thing the pastor says is this. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says that you shall only marry in the Lord. Is this woman or is this man a Christian? Well, no, she's not. He's not a Christian. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the mission. I'm gonna do missionary dating. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring them along, and they'll become a Christian. Another passage that the minister needs to bring up is Second Corinthians six, fourteen through eighteen, that you and I may not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. This is the clear teaching of God's revealed will. The reason I bring these up is because there was a, there's the person in the pulpit right now in front of you. He went to college. And when I went to college, I went to college with these two passages of Scripture burned into my mind. This is, you know, Sunday night Bible study from, can y'all believe this? Sunday night Bible study from 6 to 6.55, we studied, and these are, these are two passages that I went to college with right there. Well, I began to go out and go on dates with people, and one of them that I went out with was a really pretty swimmer, but she wasn't a Christian. And these passages of Scripture are doing exactly what the fifth and sixth commandment are doing in David's, David's heart, pounding away. You know what it says, Mark. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians 7. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18. You know you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. And so I was just being kind of torn apart by this. I didn't tell anybody this. Nobody knew this. Nobody could look at me and know this. So I decided I'd go to the pastor in the church that I attended. And, um, you know, I really kind of wanted a pat on the back. I really wanted to be told that what I was doing was okay. And I went into his office, and that man looked at me, and he sat down. He sat me down on this side of the table, and I sat down on the, he sat down on this side of his desk, and he took a piece of paper out, and he said, tell me what's going on. And I told him everything I just told you. Took a piece of paper out with a pen and wrote number one on there. 
He said, you're only supposed to marry somebody who's a Christian. Do you agree? He turned the sheet of paper around and put it on one on there. He turned it around and said, do you agree? And I said, yes, I do. Then he turned the sheet of paper back around, put a number two on there. And this is what he said. You are only to marry a Christian who's a growing Christian. Do you agree? And I said, do you agree? He turned it back around. I said, yes, I agree. Then the third thing he said is this. You need to ask God to forgive you for sinning. He walked over from behind his desk and he said, get out on your knees right here and ask God to forgive you. (laughs) Well, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I got down on my knees and asked God to forgive me. And I went about the business of making those things right. You and I are not permitted to make a decision that goes contrary to God's revealed will. Now, let's talk about open doors and closed doors because that's a thing that goes on here with David. David, his men saw an open door, a providentially open door. This is the day, they're saying. I mean, these are some good men David's around. These men are going to be his leaders, his generals. We don't need a prophet, David. We don't need a priest concerning this. God's placed him at your feet. It's time to take him out of the picture. But David wouldn't do it, even though it seemed like an open door because it would violate the Ten Commandments. Let's think about doors that are not to be entered. This is one of them. Let's think about some doors that are to be knocked down. Some doors that are not to be entered because we would violate one of the commandments. And then there are other doors that are closed we must knock down. Why should we knock doors down? Well, because just because it doesn't seem like the door's ever going to open, if we don't go open that door or knock that door down, we would be violating one of the Ten Commandments. We would be disobedient. Let's think about one of these doors that is meant to be knocked down. I'm going to bring, come, I think, maybe a little out of left field here. But listen, let's say that somebody comes up and says, Pastor, or says, Friend, I am not one of God's elect, therefore I'm not to knock on God's door of mercy. It's closed to me. I believe this to be true. I will not knock on the door of God's mercy. But friend, listen, the Bible doesn't tell us these details. The Bible says there are elect people. The Bible says that Jesus came to die for His elect people. We can talk all about elect, all we want, but it doesn't give us the names of those who are elect. What the Bible does tell us is this. It does tell us that we are to go and to knock on that door of mercy. The Bible tells us in Exodus 34, 6 and 7 that God is compassionate and God is gracious and He's slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness and maintains love to thousands and forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin. We could go to Ephesians 2 4. We could go many places, but just one more for now. It tells us God is rich in mercy. He has a He has a bank full of mercy, you know? So we look at God's revealed will. And God's revealed will tells us God is merciful, that God forgives. We don't know the names of those who are elect, so you can't say. I'm not in the book. You can't say it. What you can say is that God tells us to repent of our sins. God tells us to bang on the door of mercy and see if He doesn't open it. And He says He opens it to those who bang on it. The Apostle Paul, who would have ever thought 
Now, we've studied about him. Who would have ever thought that this man who kills Christians is going to be the one, one of the ones who receives mercy? Manasseh, if you go read about Manasseh, he was one of the most wicked kings of Judah. He made the streets of Judah run red with blood. He sacrificed his own children to other gods. And in the end, he found mercy with God. Peter and David both sinned terribly, denying Jesus, committing adultery, and all the rest that they did. And they both found mercy. We are not to run around saying, I'm not elect and I'm not going to knock on that door. (laughs) You knock on the door. And as you knock on the door, you know what you're doing? You're making your calling and your election sure. Some doors are meant to be knocked down. Another one of these doors is this. You may be single. You may feel at times like all the doors are closed and that there's no hope for you. And, and I've told many of you, I've told you I've been there. I didn't get married till I was 30. And we say to ourselves, I'm single. I want to get married. I've been looking and I've been praying. And I just don't know what to do. Should I give up? No, you're supposed to keep knocking. Um, one of the things I did and one of the things I find really great in the Bible. I found a preacher preached this. A lot of the stuff that I'm giving you tonight are things I remember when I was growing up. So I'm telling you, it's good to listen to sermons. And one of the ministers that I, that I listened to, he said this, he says, you need to ask other people to pray for you. Um, you want to get married? You need to ask other people to pray for you. I remember going to my grandmother and saying, granny, I need you to pray for me. You need to ask your church to pray for you. Another one of the things I heard a minister say, uh, Abraham sent his servant into other parts of the world to find Isaac a wife. You may need to talk to your friends and ask them to look in other fields to help you make some connections. But all the while you are having other people pray with you as you pray and as you have other people going to looking in other fields for you, you need to make sure that you are becoming the right person you need to be so that you're ready when God brings that person with a name along. Now, before we move on, just one statement, we'll we'll keep going. The Spirit of God always guides us by the Word of God. The Spirit of God never guides us apart from the Word of God. Always remember that. Don't ever go, the Spirit pointed me this direction. Always say, the Spirit led me according to the Word of God. And you'll avoid all kinds of misery. Misery that... um, This person had to go through. Third, studying the situation. Studying the situation. Seeking God's wisdom in prayer. You're studying God's revealed will and you're going to study the situation. Now here is, here's the difficult question to ask. Is this wise? Is this beneficial? There's going to be clearly things that are okay to do. There's going to be clearly things that are okay to buy. There's going to be clearly, this person is, is, is a good option. The question now is, is this the wisest course of action at this moment? Back to James 1.5. Let him who asks lacks wisdom ask of God and it will be given to him. You see, just because it's okay doesn't mean it's wise. This is a hard one to swallow sometimes. Um, We need to think about wisdom from all angles. Sometimes it might be 
necessary to consider others. Um, I would first say go to your parents if they're alive. They know you better than most, most people. The second thing, go to your church family. Because as we grow closer to our church family, they become a real source of wisdom. And then, also, I, as I've been telling Evan, he needs to be intertwined with the session of the church. We need to be connected to our men. The number, the number one thing the session does, aside, having meet, aside from having meetings on Tuesday nights, the number one thing a session does is give counsel. That's number one. We're intertwined with good counsel. Now, it doesn't mean the session, you come to the session and say, okay, session, make up my mind for me. That's not what they're going to do. Now, there's some things I can tell you right and wrong, but they're not going to make up your mind about what house to buy. They will help you, help you with counsel. Will this decision draw me closer to the Lord or will I find myself farther from Him? Will this be spiritually profitable for me or detrimental? When it comes to families, we have to think, hey, I'm a husband. I'm not alone anymore. I have a wife. I have children. I don't make a decision for me anymore. I got people. I got my people. What do I do? Well, let's think about occupational choices. There's going to come a time where you have an opportunity to take a higher paying job. There's nothing wrong with taking that higher paying job. But at this very moment, you may be in... Uh, you may be taking care of your mother. And she may be ensconced in a wonderful little part of the house. And she's totally happy. And she's got her friends. And she's got her church. And if you were to go take that better and higher paying job, it would just tear her heart out. So you deny yourself this job and you keep the lower paying job because it's wise. When I was in seminary, we had... um, at this Baptist church I was in, we had 400 people show up on Wednesday night for prayer meeting. It's weird. 400 people. And there's all these men sitting in front of me, and, and, and over four years of time that I was there, I, I heard it, if I didn't hear, I think I heard it 10 times at least, men would stand up and say, I've got an opportunity to take a better job in another state. I'm listening. And so then they go, you know, but my wife is happy in this church. And my wife is happy with these friends. And my kids are doing well in school. And I love it here. I'm going to take the lower... I'm going to stay here and make less money than I could make because everything is going well here. Spiritually health. The spiritual health of my family is so good here. I don't want to leave. But what if you're inclined to take the other job and go out of state? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But you still need to ask this question. Is it beneficial? Is it wise for me to do this? And so, and I've asked men to do this over and over. I've pushed men in California to do this over and over. I said, if you're going to take this job, brother, you go to that state, you go to that town, and you tell me that you studied it out and you found a Reformed church to go to where you can hear the Word preached, you can have the sacrament served, you can have prayer, and you can have fellowship with people that love you. Go to the place and figure it out first. If you can't find it, then don't go there. The writing's on the wall. That's kind of hard, Pastor. I said, well, <laughs> I'm trying to think about your soul. Okay, let's go to the marriage for a second. All right, we said we got a guy, we got a girl, and there maybe, maybe the lights are green. So are you studying the situation? This next question I would ask when it comes to wisdom. Here's a really great guy. Here's a really great guy. Will marrying this person, who's a Christian, 
Will marrying this person provoke me to live a more holy life? Will marrying this person, will she really push me to be godly? Will he really push me to be godly? It's not just being a Christian. Remember the, the minister that looked at me and said, got to be a grown Christian, Mark. <laughs> Get out on your knees. Repent. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Why? Because the most important decision aside from being in Christ as we preach this morning is to who we're going to marry. Because they're going to influence us the most for the rest of our lives. Well, think about purchases. Do I purchase this? Well, let me tell you one of the things that I think about when I think about purchasing something. When something comes my way and I I'm, I'm really have a, a... You know, if I see pins... I see a, a cool pen. I, I want to buy it. Impulse. I want to buy it. And I've done it before and I've gotten to the point where I'm going, you know, um, am I going to be ha- unhappy with myself two hours after I buy this? Am I going to be unhappy next week that I bought this pen and I'm not even using the fountain pens that I have right now because I've been using the, the iPad? So impulse. Think about that. Is it is it? Should I, is it wise for me to do this? Is it wise for me to buy this thing? Is it going to be a, a financial burden to my family? And will this purchase, will it cause me to uh, diminish my giving of tithes and offerings? Sadly, most people don't even think about that. Or let me end with this and then we'll move to the Lord's Supper. And if this is not necessarily for you, just think about the wisdom I hope that it provides. College and career. Do I go to college or do I get a career out of high school? Important question. I'm seeking the Lord's wisdom in prayer. I'm studying the Lord's revealed will. Now I'm going to study the situation. And what I found out is I've lived my life so far. I've looked at in, in, in the valley in California. It was out of high school a career most of the time. But in other places that I've lived, it's out of high school and go to college. It's career or college, it's one of the two. But before you pursue a career or college, there's one thing that's very important. When you leave high school, you're entering into a different world. You're all of a sudden in a, in a vulnerable situation. In high school, you're kind of safe feeling. You're at home and you're in your church and nothing's changed yet. You start pursuing a career or college and you need to ask yourself a question. Am I mature? Is my maturity level enough that I could leave home and pursue a career? Is my maturity level enough that I could go to college and pursue a career? I mean, a college degree. Can I live in an apartment by myself or with a roommate? Can I live at college and with a roommate or by myself and be okay? Or will I be sucked down by the difficulties that are in the world? It doesn't matter whether it's the thing to do. It doesn't matter if all the friends are doing it. And it doesn't matter if you have the ability to go to the most elite school in the world. What matters is this. Is it wise for you to go where you are planning to go according to your maturity level? You may need to stay home as you pursue your career. And you may need to stay home and go to a a school closer to home as you pursue your career because... You realize that you, and this is hard to talk about, isn't it? I'm not mature enough to leave home. <laughs> Some people aren't. We need to think that. Now, I'll tell you why I'm saying this. It matters because 
I've seen several young people go to the best schools in the world only to have to come home because they weren't ready for the pressure and the temptations of it all. And so let me tell you one example. I spent a year or two with a young man who is probably one of the smartest people on the planet. (laughs) I used to think to myself as a pastor, I'm sitting there thinking, why is this guy talking to me? He's the one that scored the perfect score on the SAT, not me. But when he went to school and had the full scholarship, he went to pieces. He came back home to Podunk University. He went and got a degree, a BA degree from Podunk University. He got an MBA degree from Podunk University, and he sat with his Podunk preacher at Starbucks every two weeks talking to him and helping him live his life according to the Scriptures. And now he's got his degrees, and now he's writing historical fiction. He's writing books, and he's an MBA. He's okay now, but he had to come home where he could mature a little bit more. Now he's fine. And if a person does pursue leaving home, I'm going to say the same thing again. I'm a broken record on this. If you leave home, make sure you have a place to go to church. Go, go, you got to make sure you have a place to go to church. Word, sacraments, prayer, fellowship. And I say all of this because Jesus says this. What good is it for you to have a career or a college degree Gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. John Newton put it like this. How then may the Lord's guidance be expected? In general, the Lord guides and directs His people by affording them an answer to prayer. The light of His Holy Spirit, which enables them to understand and to love the Scriptures. The Word of God is to furnish us with just principles, right apprehensions to regulate our judgments and affections, and thereby influence and direct our conduct. That's what we've said during the whole sermon. We have this book. We don't need a priest. We don't need the prophet like David did. We need this book given to us by God to seek His wisdom, to know His revealed will, study our situations. And we can make God-honoring and God-glorifying decisions. Well, let's turn the corner. Let's prepare for the Lord's Supper this evening. The Lord Jesus Christ, He instituted this supper on the night He was betrayed. He, He gave the disciples bread and wine and He He told told them what He was going to do the next day in, in the bread and in the wine. That He would be the final Passover lamb. And the Apostle Paul, He gives to us the words of institution in 1 Corinthians 11. Listen to them. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now, our greater than David, he knew in his wisdom what we needed. What do we need? We need the Word. What do we need? We need the sacraments. We need the bread and the wine. And we need prayer.
and fellowship. The blood, the bread and the wine preach to us or signify to us what Jesus would do on the cross. His body would be broken for our sins. His blood was shed for our salvation. And this sacrament seals or it promises to us that when we eat and when we drink, yes, we remember and yes, we celebrate, but he promises to us that he will commune with us in this bread and in this wine. We do not believe that when the words of institution are stated, that the bread becomes the body of Christ under the guise of bread. We don't believe that the wine becomes the the blood of Jesus Christ under the the guise of wine. But we believe that Jesus is is present spiritually with us when we eat the bread with faith in our hearts and when we drink the cup of wine with faith in our hearts. We believe that we are being fed and nourished. Uh, To take those words we used this morning, remember, in Christ, the grace comes to us. (laughs) He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's grace. And in this meal, we receive grace as we eat with faith in our hearts. So you are invited to the table tonight. Those of you, have you repented of your sins? Are you... Are you making wise decisions? Do you love God's revealed will? Are you part of the congregation of the Lord making a profession of faith in front of His congregation? Have you been baptized? And are you loved and watched over by a session of elders? Then this meal is for you. The question is, the apostle tells us to examine ourselves. Maybe tonight we would examine ourselves and say, Do I love Jesus Christ? That's a good question. Do I love Him? Do I need Him? Am I preoccupied with Him? Do I hate it when I sin against Him? Do I wish I was more sanctified? Well, this cup is is for you. This bread's for you. It's for those of us who need a Savior. So let's participate tonight, folks, to the glory of God and for the good of our soul. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to know that we have a word sufficient with wonderful principles to help us make wise decisions and live this life out before you. We thank you for your revealed will and for teaching us to uh, study our circumstances. And Father, we thank you so much also for the sacrament of the bread and the wine. And we pray that as we eat and drink tonight, that we might do this to your glory and for the good and nourishment of our own souls. Set these elements apart from their common to sacred use. And Father, we look to you for the grace that we receive. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.